I thought it was going quite well. Um, I had, was making good progress in the program. I had come up with a, a method of getting all the executives to be part of a council to help guide information security and the privacy program. I thought it uh, was really, really going well. I was really quite shocked when it happened. From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and today I speak with Chris Walski, who until recently served as CISO at Herman Miller. Something not often discussed, and perhaps not the most comfortable conversation for everyone to have, Chris and I talk about what it's like losing your job. And as a CISO, the challenges that come with finding new employment as an executive. It's rare to talk about cybersecurity without at some point mentioning the skills shortage. But does that extend all the way to executive leadership? What happens when you lose your job as a CISO and find yourself competing with hundreds of other applicants? And what tools or techniques can you use to improve your chances of success? Good morning, Chris. Uh, thank you for taking the time to be on the show. If you would, for the listener, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thank you, Steve, for having me first. And uh, I'm Chris Walski. I'm CISO. I've led two security organizations in the last uh, couple of years. Worked my way up from being an analyst to uh, leading a couple of these shops. So something that uh, you know, I've aspired to do, and I'm glad I've got a chance to do it. No, that's that's awesome. And we, we had an earlier conversation that is, I think, going to be one of the more valuable things we can cover uh, because it's going to cover something that not a lot of people talk about, or at least not in the depths that I think we're going to cover today, which I'm extremely excited about. You've been CISO for two very big organizations, and from an earlier conversation, we decided we'd chat about actually what it's like to be uh, let go. So starting off, what is that from an emotional standpoint when you get that phone call or have that meeting? I know we jumped into the heavy very quickly, but what is that? What was that day like for you, Chris? So it was like any other day. I had a meeting first thing scheduled with uh, my boss at the time, and it was supposed to be our normal one-on-one. Here's what's going on with the program and with my team. And uh, walked in, sat down, you know, being a military guy, always a few minutes early. And uh, when he arrived and HR arrived with him, I thought, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, one of the vice presidents of HR is with him. Must be something going on in HR. He didn't smile, and uh, and he basically said that we're going to have to let you go, and we're going to need to uh, have to turn things over. I'm like, okay, and it was like picked up my phone and sitting there in the back of my head, I was like, what am I going to do now? You know, first thought was, you know, thing I did was, you know, text my wife and said, this is not a joke, and because I always joke around with her, and she was, sure. I told her it's not a joke, and I said, I just got fired, and that was it. Spent about an hour doing paperwork, uh, a lot of the legal stuff. They uh, explained what 
package was for being let go and uh walked back across the uh the organization and packed up a couple boxes and it was unfortunate it's one of those days because i like to ride my motorcycle and to work on nice <laughs> days and i'm like how am i gonna get two boxes home yeah so uh, i had um Poor choice, yeah. Poor choice that day. Yeah, poor choice at that time. So I had I had asked one of my colleagues to stop by my house after work and uh, drop things off. So fortunately, he was allowed to do that. And that very first day, that afternoon, um, I was already online on LinkedIn, looking for my next role. You know, and just I was like I'm not going to let this beat me. You know, you always say that. Um, Oh, getting, you know, getting jobs and in information security is not going to be hard. And it's not going to be hard to move from one position to another. So I was like, I could beat this. I could do this. Well, let, we're going to get into that. I, I absolutely. But I think uh, one tactical question I have for you. Did you have two cell phones or one? I had one. Um, they provided <laughs> a stipend to use my own personal you know, phone for work. Okay. So, yeah, I was fortunate I didn't have to give up all that. Okay, and for those that listening that may not have uh, might not have caught that, the the risk is you know some organizations mandate you use their phone, and but in that case, you mentioned the first thing you did was text your wife. Uh, sometimes that is not available to you if that's your only line. I've I've had people have that problem, so there's a, a kind of a controversy. I hate carrying two phones, but I also dislike not being able to communicate. Thankfully, I haven't had to have that Very have true. that scenario, but yeah. Okay, so. So you you text your wife. You're you're online later that day. You're ready to kind of to jump back into it. Now there's a there's a lot we're going to cover here. What I want to cover next is, did you have any indication that things weren't going well, or you know you seem to be surprised by by the meeting with with HR now? And add a little more to this. I know we're going to cover self reflection, but I want to cover that mm-hmm. later. What? At the moment, though, that you were there, were you like, hey, are things kind of going well? Are they lukewarm? Like, did you think that it was the end? I thought it was going quite well. Um, I was making good progress in the program. I had come up with a a method of getting all the executives to be part of a council to help guide information security and the privacy program. I thought it uh, was really, really going well. I was really quite shocked when it happened. So you had a conduit there for executive leadership, which is good. You did mention, though, that there was a, a situation that, that probably could have gone maybe not better, but maybe there may have been some more tact involved. Maybe if you go back, who did you report to? Who, who, as a CISO, who did you report to? I reported directly to the CIO at the time. Okay. Was there ever a point in time where you thought, hey, there was there one moment looking back on self-reflection of what could have gone differently or could have gone better where you're like, hey, was there one moment or was it a collective of things? I think it's kind of a collective of things that revolve around one moment. And I, th- I think that, and, and like you said, it's a self-reflection. And, and for me, I'm my own worst enemy and beating myself up. I don't need anybody else to do it. Right. Because if you just sent that something being wrong, I'll sit there and I'll think about it. And what was it that? And it took me a good month, two months of thinking about what did I do wrong and what could have I done differently. Because walking out the door, I didn't get a reason, a really valid reason why I was let go. That I think is an important thing to note. Where don't expect to have that 
constructive criticism on the way out. You might get nothing. And in this case, it sounds like that's what it was. I think, though, for many security programs, there's two versions of well, like if things are going well. There's the, is the program going well? And then is the, is the leadership team going well at a personal level? Meaning, mm-hmm. is there a cultural fit of the human? And is there connection with the executives? Or are they, are they welcomed in? Or are they sort of thought as sort of a mad scientist security person? <laughs> are they welcomed into the, into the Boys and Girls Club or not? And so when you say things were going well, which version of well was it? Was it both or or one or none? Ultimately, it was pretty much going. It was going well with the program. It was a program that needed growth, and I had a strategic plan for that. And I was doing okay at the executive part of it, where I, I was able to get out and meet and talk with other C level executives and directors within the company and had you know buy-in from them on some things and then there's just a couple that just did not see eye to eye on which is normal from any organization so you're not seeing eye to eye and i I think this is and this may may or may not even apply to your prior employer but this i think is a product of just what we see in our industry and and the conversations that we have and the the roll-up of our experience. For those people where it wasn't going well, uh, what advice do you have for the listener to avoid that similar outcome? So just from your general experience, what are the kinds of gotchas that you experienced and what are the kinds of things that you, having this time to beat yourself up about it, as you mentioned, what do you wish you would have done different? I'd say that definitely would have done better in my communication better in my executive poise or presence when I'm amongst the uh, executives in the group. I keep, you know, spent quite a few years in the military. So I have still kind of a military posture around me that, you know, showing up for meetings early and, and sitting and waiting for something to happen or open, you know, start a meeting to start. Then that's just normal me. But when you sit there and you're dealing in, non-military environments where things run long and meetings run late and different concerns and certain levels of you know responsibilities and accountability it's just it's just uh you take all that in and then you just not necessarily mesh well within the different uh, within that culture do you think that part of it could tie back into you know the military definition of mission failure, or let's just say mission, whatever your mission is, that that is, there's a a real clarity around that. And, and the education and, you know, the, from junior enlisted NCOs all the way up to the top, uh, mission failure is not an option. And so you were given a job to protect that will build, create and protect that environment. And so I'm pretty sure how you probably viewed that. Do you think that there was a disconnect in the, some of these other people's view of, of your mission? I believe so. Um, and, I, and to even add to it, I think it's a regional issue as well, depending on where you're at in the country. So right now I'm in Michigan, and that's where I was employed at. We're kind of geographically separated from a lot of the bigger 
areas that have, you know, like military, larger issues to deal with, you know, you know, going back to the Cold War, it's like nobody would ever nuke Michigan because Michigan's nothing, you know, just got a bunch of lakes, you know, whereas somebody would have heightened security interests if they're in Washington, D.C. Got it. So, you know, to get back to what you're saying, yeah, it's 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 different when you're in an organization that doesn't quite understand what information security is supposed to do. They bring it in to check mark a box, and that's what security is there for. So my interpretation of security is, like you said, kind of being active, doing a defensive role, making sure that you know the company is protected so that we don't have problems down the road. So you know, their view of their view of security was compliance. Okay. Met the compliance by having a checkbox marked. Is there a, by the way, I hope no one ever nukes Michigan. I love going up there. <laughs> uh in I'm in Charlevoix often and it's beautiful. So please don't nuke Michigan. Yes, it's beautiful up here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love it. But related to sort of the compliant the view of security, when it comes time to, you know, as you interview. Mm-hmm. Were you blinded by that? Meaning when you applied and you got that job, you didn't go into that thinking it was just a compliance checkbox job. You went in with a certain idea. So will you interview differently or would you recommend people ask certain types of questions or interview differently themselves going into a job so that they don't have the same sort of uh, mission mismatch? I think I would have asked particular questions about the makeup and the uh, structure of the information security program and how it stands. I wasn't the first CISO for the company, so there was already something here and he had done a good start in getting things rolling, but it wasn't quite there to be grown. And so the question I asked was like, what is the makeup and composition of the team? How many members of the team? And when was the last time, you know, somebody was added to the team? And because if you could sit there and understand that the team is either well-formed or in the case of a company that's just starting out, that they've got planned for moving forward and adding more talent, then you got an idea that the information security program is an accepted program within the organization. Right. Is it status quo or is it growing? And how high up? Chris, did you go, when you interviewed, who is the most senior ranking person you spoke with in the interview process? Let's see. I spoke with the CFO. I've spoke with general counsel. Yeah, I spoke with quite a few of the uh, leaders within the organization. Yeah. So you went up pretty it high. Wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like I was meeting with the managers or of IT or other areas of the company it was you know the senior people of different parts of the organization yeah that that would be a good and i mean i was expecting you to have a different answer so that is a good that's a good part of the equation you know you mentioned sort of the growth and the size of the of the team but what about what about areas did you ask or do you wish you would have asked something around how do you um, measure success in security, like from their view, what does the CFO think the security team should do? Like, did you have those right. types of chats? I mean, did, did they give you a measure or was it just sort of a high level chat? I mean, is there anything you wish you would have really nailed down there to tie to a success factor? 
Not really. I didn't really think about that aspect, and I'm writing that down. So for future interviewing, I can <laughs> make sure I bring that up. What is the success factors? It's something that now, if I was to, uh, to interview, I'd say, how do you qualify security as doing your job? I mean, a lot of times I get questions interviewing, how do you measure you know, information security? And right. I guess maybe I turn the question back around at them and say, well, what do you expect as a measure of success? Yeah, I think they're related. I think, I think they're both very important. So if someone were to ask me, there's lots of measures that I would have uh, for the team itself. And we, you and I could spend a week probably talking about that. But depending on who you, we chat with, like the CFO, the CFO may believe or may want, as an outsider, they may have a different view. And sometimes you're surprised by the answer. You know, it, it, right. their, their answer may not be, well, you know, stop foreign adversaries or, you know, limit the time it takes to identify from a base event to tying that to a human, you know, and closing the case or, to, you know, but investigation times or measuring things like this. They may have a completely different view. The, the CFO may say, well, I don't want any financial penalties. Or I want to make sure you really have good breach, you know, <laughs> cyber insurance, which they may have. So the conversations with them uh, could go very differently. And so that's something I think we all need to work on exploring at all levels. What it gets into is a good friend of mine, uh, David Sims, talks about currency a lot, uh, another mm -hmm. veteran. And he, he would talk about what's people, everyone has different currency depending on kind of the, the way they think and the position that they hold. So right. thinking of the currency of those individuals. But yeah, that, that may help. And it may help, may have helped. You, know, you mentioned about having more presence and you mentioned, you used the word poise. Mm -hmm. That may have helped a little bit in that regard, right? So not talking to them about your version of security, talking to them about their version. Maybe. Exactly. We don't know. I mean, they, exactly. they well, may. We don't know. <laughs> but, but we can explore it going forward. And I think I, I credit you for having, again, for sharing this because not a lot of folks have the fortitude to get up and talk about getting let go, at least not right. you know, in this form. Yeah, it's different in this form because, you know, we always hear about the CISO that's been fired after a breach or, or other significant incident or circumstance, but just to walk in in the morning and just be told that, uh, yeah, we're done here is, it's entirely different shock than having to live through a, uh, a breach. Not to say, I mean, at least so then I, you know, <laughs> at least you know, yeah, I know, but at least you know what happened. Right. And right. instead of being sent out the door and you're like, because one of the things that you know, always comes back is like, okay, am I an imposter in this industry? Am I faking it until I make it type of uh, mentality? So that that's everywhere. I think anyone who, I think healthy people, it's unhealthy to think it, but it's also healthy from a standpoint. I think it's an ego check uh, for, for all of us. I think a lot of us do wonder. I've wondered it. I still wonder, you know, what, am I good enough? You know, was I a good enough engineer when I was an engineer? Well, I was passable. Was I a good intrusion analyst? Well, I was average, maybe above average. I was a pretty decent team lead. You know, but every step of the way, even going into executive leadership, you, you question yourself. And I think you should do that. I think that's part of self-reflection. But right. to your point, having that, it's a little anticlimactic 
you almost want there to be a, a natural disaster or, you know, something yeah. big to happen. Right. I mean, it's right. It fills in the movie plot a little better. But I think to your point, I think it highlights that there's this sort of silent career killer that maybe ties more into, well, I thought it was going well, but now I looking back, I wish I had more executive presence and poise. Mm-hmm. I'm getting into that. I want to break from that a little bit and talk about you had some really interesting information, some observations, I guess, on this idea of there being a talent shortage in information security and then the process of applying for different positions just out of the gate. Like, how has that been going? Uh, how, what's that process? <laughs> what's your view of that? Share, share with us. It's, I believe, hogwash. Um, I don't believe that there's much talent shortage in the industry is made out to be. And it's not just based on my experience, but talking with others, it's, it's amazing what happens after you get let go, because then it's almost like there's a, a meetup of all the people that are out there looking for work. And we're all kind of trying to help each other find new opportunities. And I've been talking with people from the UK and Singapore and all that about you know, jobs and how they're struggling to find a, a position within information security. But isn't that amazing? Like, I think, I think there's two versions and you, and you clarify this in, in our earlier chat. I think there is a talent shortage at an analyst level, at a worker level. Would you, would you agree to that? That there's a, at, at I agree. Level? I agree. I, I think that there is, but, I, and I'm, you know, as kind of mentioned previously, I think it's, you know, the fault of hiring managers that, that there is a perceived shortage of information security experienced people. But when you could sit there and pull from, from other industries that may well fit well within information security based on uh, aptitude and adaptability, then there's no reason why we should be saying that there's a shortage. Yeah. Completely agree there. I think that, that it's become a comfortable excuse for mediocre management to say that we are, if you have to get creative and, you know, conscript people in that are interested in doing career change, if you're willing to put the time in, you can make it work. No question. Exactly. Exactly. I think now, are there, are there lots of open job recs? Yes. But are there teams that need more people? Absolutely. But are there there's too few organizations that are willing to put the effort in to help build up somebody who's looking to take on a new career or grab that intern and say, Hey, I'm going to make your life better. That takes grit and leadership. So I do think it's, I do think it's BS. I think it also starts, you know, I I blame it on, uh, you know, the the job descriptions as well. You Mm -hmm. know, you, you sit there and you look at the job descriptions, entry level position requiring CISSP, which, when I got mine required five years of experience in information security, and I believe it still does, you know, and so how can that be an interlevel position? And then two, you require a college degree. How many people are in the military right now working in cybersecurity that do not have college degrees because they joined right out of high school? Right. And three years, four years of actual on keyboard doing the job experience, but they don't qualify for the position because they don't have a college degree. Yeah. No, I think that that's, and I don't know if that's the hiring manager. I don't know if that's company policy. I don't know if that's HR, but we, we've also seen 
some very large organizations drop degree requirements. Some, very, some of the biggest companies in the world have dropped that, both mm-hmm. consulting and tech. So I think that's interesting. I, I will say the one thing as a hiring manager that a, that a degree would get you, it's a lot, but it's not much, is that those that didn't have to go through and write a bunch of papers, they didn't typically write well. So you would get somebody in who was talented otherwise, the writing ability would typically suffer for those that hadn't gone through at least a two-year or four-year degree. But you work on that. That's a skill that can be learned. Right. Uh, it was learned through you know, four years of collecting debt <laughs> in, in university. <laughs> and so it can be done. But that, I think, is the biggest thing that sort of taught you know, some of the, my best coworkers and friends ever were, were vets that either didn't go or went later to university and, and worked in technology right. with. So, so talk about, so let's, let's flip it around the other way. And now let's go into management and leadership. So sure. we, we, this, this whole thing of, okay, we're, we're short of people, but you mentioned that there's sort of this watering hole now of those that have been this, this virtual watering hole of those that are unemployed, trying to help each other to get jobs. Right. Leadership positions, seemingly. How's that gone? Like, how is how you told me? I think you applied to more than twenty different positions. Um, you know, lots of applications. Right. How have HR so, yeah. departments been? Yeah, I mean, talk talk to me about that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, statistics as of today is I've applied to two hundred twenty eight different companies. Average number of applicants for each position that I applied to is about one hundred and thirty. I've received automated turn down emails from 44 companies, no answers from 133. And mm-hmm. out of that, I've had 20 total interviews out of the 228 applications submitted. So that gets me a grand whopping 9% interview rate. Um, <laughs> you know what, though? That as bad as it sounds, there would have been a time in my life when I would have taken that 9% and had a smile on my face back when, you know, when, when right. a different time. But you would have thought, I would have thought someone, and I'll say, you know, you, you've been, you've been around a while. Uh, I see in your LinkedIn photo, we've got about the same amount of gray. I probably have more gray hair than you actually. <laughs> yeah, but you can't see the bald spot on the back. So, <laughs> <laughs> But you've, you're, you've, you're, you're a veteran, you're credentialed, uh, you're educated. You've been a CISO at, at, at multiple large organizations and it's and and more than that. And so mm-hmm. now you've had a chance to self-reflect. We all have our own sort of demons we're trying to, to slay and, and, and correct. But what have you learned out of that 9%? So you've had these 20-some interviews. If there's one or two things you've, you've figured out or that, that makes you chuckle, what's that? Even at the management level, a preconceived notion that the unicorn is required. Hmm. And I think you can look at that as by the companies that I've applied to, and they still have vacancies for leadership roles within information security. Now, I didn't apply to 228 CISO roles. I applied to 228 roles that varied from senior manager to CISO. Got it. Various parts of the information security program, you know, mostly focused on if it was not the CISO, mostly focused on incident response or security operations type roles, you know, because I figured if I'm going to go to a bigger company, maybe, I, you know, I could take a step back in, in the chain. But a lot of these companies still have the vacancy open. 
And it's been, you know, four or five, six months that that vacancy has been open, even though I've interviewed and I know of others that have interviewed and they still haven't gotten it. So you're not doing this for full transparency. You are in, in Michigan in central Michigan in an area where there's some great employers there, but there's not, mm-hmm. it's not, you're not in Chicago or New York city or San Francisco, right? There's, there's not the volume, but you've gone you're, you're like, well, many are not, you are willing to relocate. You're talking at a, at a world level. You know, you, you talked to exactly. me about, so this is not just something to say where somebody could say, well, you're Chris, you're just in the Midwest. Like that's just the Midwest. Right. Things move slower. Well, than I've, yeah. They move slower, but uh, you know, I've, I've been looking outside, you know, interviews in Singapore uh, or with, with companies in Singapore interviews with companies in Bangkok, Thailand, Philippines. It's in areas where there's been, you know, there's a little bit more of a demand for senior information security experience. Yeah. I've, I've global. And I'll tell you there, there, by the way, Singapore, if you haven't been there, uh, is awesome. I <laughs> have been able to go there a couple of times for work and wonderful people. I would live there in a heartbeat. Bangkok, Thailand's a different monster. <laughs> Definitely. I went to a security conference there once and it was maybe the weirdest thing, the weirdest security conference I've ever been to. And I've been to some weird security conferences and this was the weirdest, weird in ways I won't say on the show, but <laughs> the, it was very interesting. But yeah, no, I, I think to your point though, you're, you're open to to lots of different type of work at lots of different levels. Right. What are you working on though? You mentioned that there's some things that, that you're reflecting on. You're beating yourself up on some stuff, probably unnecessarily, but I mean, you know, you had this, had this happen. It's a gut check, but you gotta, you gotta step back up. Is there anything you're thinking about? Like, Hey, is my, how do I, how does one work on executive presence or poise? If those are things that you're still working on, like what did you make any human changes? in this downtime that you're sure. Yeah. Talk to us about that. If you sure. I've been, I've been reading uh, books, books outside of the information security realm on like courage and having a, the fortitude to be able to stand up and do what's right. I've been taking LinkedIn has some really good courses on executive poise and I've kind of used them even before interviews to sit there and kind of pump up my, uh, I guess, uh, <laughs> pump up myself just to make sure I'm, I'm good at uh, being able to answer the questions and, pre- you know, pre- present myself in an executive type way during yeah. the interviews. So, and, you know, and then within information security, I just start looking at uh, other certifications. So right now I'm preparing for the CISA certification so I can get more into auditing. I think one of the things that this experience has told me is to make sure you, you know, continue to have a breadth of talent or, you know, that you can fall back onto. When I was uh, an analyst and when I had more time, I was a volunteer firefighter and I was like, well, if I ever lose my analyst job, I could go apply to be a firefighter somewhere type of thing. Now I'm just a little bit too old for that. So, and definitely not as in the shape as I used to be. So. So you talked about, I think it's really important. I can remember, well, even now today, but earlier in my career, especially when I would get, I lacked confidence 
even though I had some skill and I would need to find ways to get myself a little more courage maybe for the day. And I, I was an awful, terrible, terrible interviewer, which I had to work on. And some of it was confidence. Some of it was experience. Some of it was even insecurity. And so I'd even have certain things I would do, uh, even certain music uh, I would listen to or certain things I would think about, you know, and, and <laughs> my dad would even sometimes say, and, and he was not in World War II, he was in Vietnam, but he would say, well, it's not Omaha Beach. <laughs> like, you know, and, it, and that's, that's a very true. extreme example, right? We're, we're, so don't be nervous. Like, I mean, you can do, like, this is something that's been done before. And, you know, so uh, I kind of, when you were sharing that, I was thinking back to some of his advice. I thought you were going this way. And, and I, maybe it was a misread, but in our earlier chat, you know, you, you mentioned something and, and you said, hey, let's work on other skills. Let's get that CISA. Let's do some additional reading. But what about maintenance of relationships? Oh, yeah. Talk about that. I mean, there's a, there's a big community, both it could be internal to your company, but a lot of it's outside. It's, it's, your, it's, your, it's your vendors. It's your mm-hmm. VARs. It's your consulting partners. Did you do a good enough job at that? Or do you wish you would have managed that differently? Looking back now. Looking back now, I wish I would have done a little bit more in managing and those relationships. When I was leading the program, anybody, anybody that's leading a cybersecurity program, information security program, the vendors come out of the woodworks and try to sell you everything. If you had a glass of water in front of you, they'd try to sell you the glass of water. Yeah. And say it was going to fix all your cybersecurity problems. So a lot of times it was, you know, it was, okay, keep them at arm's length and whatnot. But the ones that I did have good relationships with it were the ones that stepped up after I got let go and immediately said, what happened? What can I do to help? And you know, is there um, anything that you're looking for that I could try to help you find in, the, in your next role? So I had, you know, really good discussions with those folks. I also wish that I had been more involved in the local information security scene than I was. I mean, I was starting to get involved with the Cloud Security Alliance. I was starting to get more involved with ISSA. And the ISACA chapters, I had been involved when I was in, in Delaware prior to moving to Michigan. So I just didn't have, you know, I just haven't gotten myself into them here. And I wish I had done that sooner. For the listener, I think, you know, there's a, there's a guy that I think of, a friend of mine, PwC, Tim Stoner, who's a partner there. And guys like that or, or your some of your VARs or even vendors that they know everything that's going on. Like they're sort of this oh, yeah. network of who got hired, who who's leaving, where's there a vacancy. And those are the kinds of things though, you know, a lot of them will help you even if you've not helped them, but it's certainly, it certainly benefits you if you have a, a real relationship. If you have a great relationship, let's say with a vendor, find good ways to share success. Right? So if you go in and you're going to buy something, you're going to create part of your program, you're going to make it new, you're going to have success, help those. Funny enough, the sales directors, are those are the people that make money for that company. They're the ones that are right. in front of everyone. They have, they're the ones that make relationships with these other companies. 
somebody like that, especially if you've gone out of your way to help them, not in a disingenuous way, not at a, not no quid pro quo, but Hey, we are going to work together. We're going to build a program around this product or service. And then we're going to celebrate how awesome we are. And then everyone can retell that story. They're going to trust you. And that's one thing I learned a long time ago. That's a huge benefit. I, I, it sounds like you're kind of going down that path too. Right. And I am, I, I had actually, you know, the, the, the ones the, that I worked with, we approached it as a partnership and we worked well and close together, moving my vision of the program forward for any, anything that in the future I'd require purchases of uh, different pieces of software technology to, or just, you know, getting services from them for like the annual penetration test or anything like that. That partnership was important for me to be, feel, you know, in order to be able to actually be able to depend on them and trust them. So I almost kind of had that family feeling that, yeah. you know, they were in there with it, with you. So in a lot of people, and I've done, I've been guilty of this in my past and, and probably too much, you know, some vendors I've really been rough on in my past uh, and hopefully for the right reasons, maybe not. But a lot of times when you have an outage or a problem and, you know, I spent my whole career on the other side in financial services and healthcare. And so sometimes vendors get yelled at and they're used to getting that sort of scenario. But at the same time, mm-hmm. when things are good, you must celebrate that success. And I think that's maybe another oh, yeah. reminder to the listener. It's okay to, to have high expectations but it also needs to be okay when you have success to share that and let them know they've done a good job. And that's Mm going to help build that, that long-term friendship ultimately, not just a a positive relationship. We're talking with humans now. There's many of my, you know, sales staff, people that I've worked with in my career, some of my best friends now. So. Right. I think what you said there, you, you, you said, you know, you know, the humans, and I think that's where a lot of times we forget that, you know, the other person, the person or the person that's answering that email is human and the person that's on the phone is human. And so, you know, a little bit of empathy could go a long ways. Yeah. So anything else? I mean, so this has been heavy and emotional and now you're, you have the strength to talk about it. Uh, hopefully mm-hmm. to help other people, right? So if somebody else has lost their job, if somebody else is, you know, in this similar situation, these are things that you're working on. Is there anything else that you want to say or share to to the listener that may be in the same spot? You know, if they're, if they're I going would through- say don't give up. Continue fighting. The day after I got fired, I got up the next morning the same time I usually did, and then I got busy to work and my work was now finding a new job and getting out there and developing relationships that I should have had before. So there, that second part there is, you know, develop the relationships, no matter what it comes down to in the end, it depends on who, you know, Um, that adage is still very true. Even with all the uh, automated applicant tracking systems and yeah, you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence, recruiting processes that are going on. It's still about who you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that might be 
maybe even going through any part of your career and saying, you know, who are two or three people that would, that would help me direct me to maybe help me get a job or maybe help me prepare, prepare for getting a job. If you don't have those, maybe that needs to be developed now, right? Before, before you're in the situation. Right. Before it's too late. Right. Right. One piece of advice I was given by uh, one of my professors at university of Maryland global campus was uh, set yourself up with a second set uh, income. So if you're in a position where you're senior enough and you have, you know, some credentials, consider maybe teaching, getting into, uh, you know, into a adjunct uh, professor. I mean, if you're, you're CISO, you got some experience that can definitely be passed on and could be via the, you know, a junk professor program somewhere or some other level of experience sharing. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there, I was not a CISO. I was not even in leadership at the time, but I worked for SANS. You know, I, I did courseware curriculum development, which is actually a lot harder than it sounds. I didn't do the teaching, but building classes. And it was a ton of work, but it actually was, I learned a lot, met a lot of people and actually paid pretty well. And it was a, a good way to kind of stay connected, stay sharp and, and earn some extra dough. So I think teaching is very much Teaching is, is a more prestigious version of what I was just, you know, referencing. I think that's a good right. thing. Or do you teach or do you think, do you think you might want to one day? I would like to. Um, so a lot of the ones that I've looked into, they require like a master's in information security or information science. I have a master's in business administration. So uh, they just didn't cross over well within their uh, program goals. So in the future. When I get my next job, I'll go back to school and get my master's of information science. So one of the things that we always ask, we ask two questions typically on the show. And one of them is what advice would you give your younger self? And we've kind of covered that uh, in a way, right? I mean, your younger self as of, right. as of a couple months ago, the self-reflection of all of it. <laughs> but the other question we ask uh, pursuant to the name of the show is to you, what does being a new CISO mean to you? Right. What does that mean? So I'll leave that to you. Um, do you have a in the changing world of security? Uh, what is that? What might that mean to you? Be ready to be flexible. Things change in every which way direction that you can ever imagine. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons I like being in information security. But when you become that CISO. There's so much that's going on, and sometimes you have to just accept it because you have to realize the company has to make money or the organization is it has a goal, and you're you're having to bend to be, allow the company to meet that goal. Now, keeping in mind, you know, there's still a requirement to be to have integrity and to be compliant and legal, but not everything is set in stone. Be flexible. Yeah, you said it well. Sometimes making money gets in the way of security and it requires <laughs> that flexibility. Chris, I can't thank you enough, not only for taking the time to be on the show, but also the strength to talk about a tough time. But I, I know, and, um, and I'm sure everyone listening knows that this will be uh, short-lived. And so I'm excited to hear about your new CISO position, new leadership position, uh, wherever that may be. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve, for having me. I appreciate this. It's been fun. 
Awesome. Thanks. That's it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first. 